So here's a message that was delivered by Pastor Frank Mullis of Striving for Eternity. He is a pastor down in Georgia, and he was delivering a message at the Equip Jersey Conference on what is a biblical marriage. This is a most important message for many of us to think about, to hear. So please give a listen, share this with others, let others know about this podcast If you're finding value in this, please consider coming to strivingforeternity.org slash donate and helping us to support this ministry. Here is the message that Pastor Frank delivered at the Equip Jersey Conference. I hope this is a blessing to you. So please enjoy. Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. One of the things I did steal from him that he stole from somebody else was the uh, outline of what makes up a biblical marriage. And if you notice the topics, um, Christian marriage, real love, communication, finances, sex, the roles of husband and wife, and then conflict resolution. So when we think about these, most people that come to marriage counseling, it's either for finances or sex that I've found over the years. And and what's what's funny is there's, those are usually down at the, the bottom of the list when it comes to marital counseling, and and I, I've said this, and, and I think the, your daughter left so I can be a little bit more frank here. Um, I've always said if the money's good, the sex can be okay, but and the, if the sex is good, the money can be, <laughs> right? But when they're both bad, divorce is coming is what I've found a lot of times in, uh, in marital counseling. Uh, but those are not the centerpieces of marriage, and you're going to find that out. They're definitely not the centerpieces of marriage counseling, uh, or the centerpieces of marriage counseling, but they're not the centerpiece of a biblical marriage. And so what I'm going to do is uh, discuss Christian marriage from a biblical perspective, and Andrew spoke the Ephesian passages and others, and he exposited it quite well, so I won't spend a lot of time on that. But I will spend some time on the other factors that I think are important. So let's talk about relationships in general. Concerning all human relationships, Dr. Stuart Scott writes that relationships are either poor or worsening or good and growing. There's two types of relationships. They're poor and worsening. So if you think about, if you have a poor relationship with someone, it's only going to get worse. It generally does not get better if you don't work at it. And good relationships continue to get better because you're working at it. Therefore, marriage relationships should be growing and thriving much more so than any other relationship you have in your life. And uh, I think Andrew spoke of that quite well. We tend to find other areas in our lives, and we have other friends outside of our wife, and we spend a lot of time building that relationship because we pretty much know she or he's going to be at home when we get there, right? That's our sad assumption a lot of times. And so as we look at this, the Bible describes marriage in the following words in Genesis 2.24, hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And we're going to talk about that idea in just a minute of what one flesh is. 
These words set up the most importance of marriage in the story of Scripture. In Hebrews 13:4, marriage should be honored by all. That's the command. Marriage is to be honored by all. That's why we celebrate at weddings, do we not? Everybody's ha- I mean, look, everybody loves going to a wedding, not so much to a funeral, right? But, but marriages are, should be fun and joyous, right? You have the party, and I mean, look, Jesus, look, he, he celebrated and made wine, right? It was his first miracle was at, 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 a, uh, at a wedding. So marriages are the centerpiece of what God has for the family. And then he goes on to say in Hebrews, the author, which I believe is Paul, marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So one of the things that marriage is the key uh, in the context of as we move into the idea of sex a little later. The idea of one flesh, Dr. Stuart Scott says, definitely includes sexual relations, but it's much more. A lot of us, especially men, we like that idea of one flesh, and we kind of flesh that out literally into saying, well, that's why I want to get married is so we can have sex all the time. I mean, that that's always seems to be that context of one flesh. Apostle Paul uses it in connection with sex with a harlot in Corinthians 6.16, but it is far more than that concept. The animals are never said to be one flesh with their mates. You know, we we talk about the swan and the eagles and the the ones that mate for life, and we try to compare that, but that's nothing of what God intended for human marriage of a man and a woman meeting together and coming together as one. The command to be one flesh, God mentions leaving mother and father and cleaving to one's wife. This is one of those issues I find a lot that I have found in marriage counseling over the years, that not only is finances an issue, that sex is an issue, but mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, they tend to uh, stay part of that, especially if they're in close proximity. I told my wife the best thing we ever did was pack up and move eight hours away when we got married uh, so that my parents or her parents couldn't interfere and the only people we had to depend on was each other and we only had one car. So if one of us was gone, you knew they weren't going anywhere. But it's the idea of leaving mother and father so that mother and father is not there um, in your business. And that's the difficulty. I remember dealing with this uh, couple in counseling. Every time uh, they would get in a fight, she would pack her bags and she'd go live with mom. And then a couple weeks later, she'd decide she wanted to come back to her husband. She'd come back in. A couple months later, they'd get in a fight. She'd take off. And I told him, he says, what should we do? I said, you need to move eight hours away. Make it difficult for her to leave and go home. If we put things together with a companion purpose of marriage, as I've said, God is also talking about relational oneness, being bonded together. We talk about the unity of the Godhead. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are perfectly one, right, in unity. And we think of the one flesh again in the observation that the oneness that God created in marriage is exclusive as it is a bond that is created by him. God ordained marriage. That is why it's so beautiful, why it should be celebrated among all. Scott goes on to say that this oneness is the sharing of ideas. 
I'm sure if you're married, you share things with your spouse that you do not share with anyone else. Uh, a lot of times mine is because they're crazy and, uh, and uh, beliefs, joys, difficulties, triumphs, failures, possessions in the bodies with the other spouse. So oneness is not achieved by human determination, but it is a holy gift from God. That is why Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. And that is including, I think, the husband and the wife cannot separate it. That's the importance of what Mark is saying in his gospel. Jane Hunt. Now, I want to point out Jane Hunt is a female uh, theologian. She's a biblical counselor. Um, So I spent some time um, quoting her in the context of biblical women's roles. So if you don't like... You know, some of the things, it's a lady saying it, so sometimes the women get upset when a man says it, but, you know. So, Jane Hunt divides Christian marriage in the context of Scripture as a covenant agreement in which a man and a woman, both committed to Jesus Christ, are legally, physically, and spiritually joined as husband and wife. And I think that is a good synopsis of what Christian marriage is, is that it's a covenant. You know, it's, if it's a covenant, then it's what? Cannot be broken. Unfortunately, we find out that today it's till divorce do we part. In which a man and woman, both committed to Jesus Christ, are legally, physically, spiritually joined as husband and wife. Let's talk about love, what biblical love is. According to Wayne Mack, many people are not able to define the word, or they have a flawed or insufficient understanding of love. Uh, we use derogatory terms such as make love, right? Um, love in the understanding of the Christian concept we get from Scripture. If we pull love from any other concept, it's going to be lacking because God is love. Ed Welch writes that love is understood not by our definition but God's. It is defined as obedience toward God. We do not autonomously decide what form love takes. God tells us how to love. I think that's important. You know, as Andrew mentioned earlier, we are to love our wives. How? Only one way. <laughs> as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So if we love our wives in any other way, ultimately in the, that context... It becomes problematic. When we love on our terms rather than God's, we are in sin. Even if our sin does not seem to be hurting another human being, it is still sin because we do not sin necessarily against other people, but our sin is always against God. That's why David said, I've sinned against you and you alone. If sin was reduced to hurting others, then we could become morally perfect by isolating ourselves from all people. Sin, however, is not primarily a human against human action. It's a human against God. We've talked about a good bit in Scripture. I'm sure if you grew up in church, you've heard sermons on love and God is love and all of those. In the Greek words, a lot of times you see eros, philos, agape there, storge is another one that you can add in there, and you can divide them up. And all of these types of love are connected to marriage. 
a millage, as we would say, those of us that have seen the movie. Um, eros is sexual love, and we see that within marriage. We see philia, or philos, the brotherly love. Your spouse and you are, what, brothers and sisters in Christ, hopefully. Agape, godly, that is how God has intended us to love one another. And familia, storge, as we love within the family, a familial love. Each of these types of loves are needed for a marriage to be healthy and godly. The most popular passage used to teach about love is 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm not going to uh, spend a lot of time, but I want to point out uh, one that that is important. But if you notice that love is, in the primary sense of this, love is not an envious, jealous type of thing. Most marriages, when they start to fail in the regards to love, love becomes not in giving to the other, it becomes narcissistic and selfish. And that becomes very difficult, uh, a difficult thing when you're trying to counsel when the husband loves himself more than his wife and the wife loves herself more than the other. And no, we just don't love each other. I know because you love each other. <laughs> Instead of loving each other, you love yourselves. That's exactly right. I fell out of love with them. That's because you fell in love with yourself. Uh, thinks no evil, rejoices in the truth, bears all things. Notice that bears all things. A lot of times things happen in marriage. Just can't handle it anymore. Can't go through it anymore. I can't deal with their problems anymore. Notice that it's not a biblical view of love. Let's talk about biblical roles. Biblical roles, I move this to after love because this has been one of the, the key things uh, Andrew spoke of, again, biblical roles. Uh, to a sense, we, in uh, Anthony, in his idea, is that there are biblical roles. The problem is men don't like their roles anymore. Women don't like their roles anymore. We Women think that men's roles will be better than theirs, and men think women's roles will be better than theirs. It's all rebellion against God. That's why. It's a rebellion against the natural order. That's just the part of what humans are. We rebel against God. We hate God. And so therefore, what he's ordained, we're going to go against. The Bible is straightforward and clear of the roles of both the husband and the wife. The man and woman may have different ideas and expectation of what this means within the context of marriage. My wife, she grew up in a family that was lost. She grew up with, from a family that was divorced. I grew up in a family that my mother was saved most of my life. My father was not saved most of my life. Uh, we went to church. Uh, I was involved in church. And my, you know, my grandparents were married over 50 years, both sides. My parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So I had no, no concept of what divorce is. My wife's uh, mother and father divorced when she was 13. Uh, so the idea, all of her, matter of fact, all of her aunts and uncles are divorced. Um, her grandparents on her mom's side, they are, um, uh, been married, they were married before uh, her grandfather passed away over 50 years. That was her only concept. But again, even that concept was not one of a biblical marriage. Uh, 
So as we look at Ephesians, and I'm not, since Andrew went through Ephesians 5 uh, quite a bit, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but this is where we get <clears throat> our concept of biblical roles, and it is split between the role of the husband and the role of the wife, but I'm going to give you some ideas of what this means. The main responsibility, and I'm going to talk about the husband's roles and then the wife's roles. The main role of the responsibility of the husband in relation to his wife is to sacrificially love her. Andrew gave a beautiful <clears throat> definition of that. And Jane Hunts recommends that he do this through affection, good communication, honesty, financial security, and commitment. And those are ways that he expresses his love. In Ephesians 5.25, we know that husbands are to love their wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So his goal should always to be loving toward his wife as Christ loves the church and live with her in a thoughtful and understanding way. <clears throat> Isn't that wonderful if we could do that? <laughs> All the time, perfectly. Um, you know, I find when we come across difficult things that the Bible tells us to do, what it's really telling us to do is run to Christ. When you're struggling and failing in those areas that you're being commanded to do, you turn to Christ for your strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I think a lot of that is included in this context in marriage. Within the sacred union, the husband should understand how he is required to lead in setting the direction and priorities in the home while holding in high value the input and ideas of his wife. Andrew has mentioned the term um, last, uh, last night. He was talking about patriarchy, how a lot of marriages end up in patriarchy where the man is demanding and commanding the idea of how the wife should act, how she should respond. And I, I think he perfectly said it. If you have to command your wife to submit, it's really not what? Submission. Another role of the husband is to provide good communication. I will make the argument that the failure to love and then the failure of communication is the downfall primarily of marriages long before it gets to the sex and finance part of it, that the husband should be able to communicate with his wife, attempting to talk on the feeling or emotive level. You know how I feel about feelings, right? I already made that. Um, is difficult. Women tend to think emotionally. Men tend to think rationally. Um, listening to her express her concerns <laughs> and interest, especially when they're not yours, but they are yours. I remember counseling this couple and... Uh, she was expressing all of these problems, and I looked at him. I said, you know why that's your problem? He goes, no, why? Because it's her problem. It's become your problem because you're married. Her problems are now your problems, even if you didn't set up to be your problem. Even if you didn't get into it, you got into marriage. There are things that you will not count on in marriage that will show up in your marriage. Things that she didn't talk about before you got married, things he didn't talk about before you got married. 
probably because you didn't have good premarital counseling is why. I remember the pastor who did our premarital counseling. He looked at it and says, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Oh, y'all good. You know, I was like, I was like many times I was sitting there thinking we weren't good. Right? It's, it's, it's difficult to know what it's like to be married until what? You're married. Ephesians 4.29 speaks of communication. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Man, I need that verse so many times. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Don't you love those friends who have the spirit of encouragement? I think I have the spirit of discouragement sometimes. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. This is a key point when you think about when you're about to talk to your wife about something that you're aggravated about. Your spouse. What's about to come out? Is this going to be helpful? Or is it just going to make me feel good? Think about it. When you get into an argument, most of the time is, I need to get this off my chest. No, you don't. You just want to get it off your chest. I just can't let this build up anymore. But is it going to be beneficial? And that's the key. It, gives, it breaks this down. Number one, is it unwholesome? Number two, is it helpful? Or building? Is it going to be according to their need? And is it going to benefit those who hear about it? Again, Lord help me. The husband's role, he should be honest with her about committing to total truthfulness. Sharing his thoughts, feelings, and desires Discussing his plans and activities clearly. A lot of times, you may say, Honey, I've got to work late. Yeah, you might have worked late, but what happened after work? Honey, I'm going to visit a friend, but you end up going to play golf or go to the movies or whatever it may be. You're not total truth. doesn't always come out. Because they don't want to what? Upset. Notice that with my children lately. I just didn't want to cause any drama. Well, the fact we found out has caused a lot of drama. Actually, matter of fact, you not telling us the whole truth is what's caused all this current drama. Men are good at sharing their thoughts, at least speaking. And maybe not so much your feelings. Women are good at sharing their feelings, but not about their thoughts. Tell you, this is how I feel. Well, what were you thinking about before you got to feeling that way? Why are you so upset? I'm not upset. Right? That's what the man says. Discussing his plans and activities clearly. The husband should be able to provide financial security for his future wife. 
Men don't like to hear that as much today, especially if they are having difficulty with finances. But he should be able to bear the main financial responsibility. However, he is to consult her on how to best use finances and prepare a budget together. You may make all the money, but she's spending some of it too, <laughs> right? The husband commits himself to his wife. He should make her and the family his highest earthly priority. And Andrew spoke about that uh, quite succinctly. He should schedule quality and quantity time along with her and the children. His commitment should be to her and should be verbalized often so that she is reassured of his love and desire for her. It's often things, a lot of times, that the husband forgets is that she just wants to be reassured that everything's going to be okay, that you got it under control. Let's talk about wives. The main responsibility of the wife in relationship to her husband is respect. That is one of the key that I think women miss a lot, is that at the beginning of the day, it is pretty much comes down, does the husband feel respected? And respect is shown in many different ways by his wife, and one of the ways in which you understand the way your husband may feel disrespected are the ways in which or what are the things that he's constantly nagging about. It really boils down to he does not feel respected. June Hunt recommends that a future wife and the wife understand that she needs to provide admiration, domestic support, companionship, attractiveness and sexual fulfillment for her husband. Those are definitely things that the modern feminists would be screaming at me right now about. But I will point out June Hunt is the one that wrote that and she's a woman, so that's okay. Uh, she also suggests that in order for a wife to give admiration to her husband, admiration to her husband, she should always be striving towards Praising his positive character traits. A lot of people will say, well, you're just puffing him up. But notice, it's things that are true about him. Love is truthful, right? Things that are positive. Notice it doesn't say his negative characteristics. A lot of times, the wives nag about, well, you never do this, you never do that. You, this, that, as always. It's not the things that he's doing well. Should always be striving toward praising his positive character, reassuring him of his capabilities. What are his capabilities? Men are often, <laughs> a lot of times we just keep driving, even if we don't really know where we're going, right? <laughs> And respecting his burden of responsibility. I, I, you know, again, I think this is. Uh, I saw this meme, and it was this man and or this woman and her child, and it said, "Mommy, why is Daddy never home?" And then it was the husband underneath lifting up the entire house. Um, 
you know, it is one of those things that becomes very difficult. My wife and I determined early on for her to stay at home with the kids. Now, we never expected to have four kids, and it takes a lot more to raise four kids than it does one kid or two kids or three kids or four kids. Um, and so I'm gone quite a bit, and I do feel, uh, I do feel oftentimes a uh, burden of responsibility that I'm, I'm not meeting. Or when you talk about raising finances, making sure the finances are there. And so the husband is under that burden, and the wife should respect that burden. The domestic support that a wife should provide for her husband includes providing a peaceful home atmosphere. I remember seeing this video of, uh, it was not long after 9-11, and there were some of the firefighters who had gone through the, uh, who survived the 9-11 attack. And one of the ladies, I remember this lady who magnified this perfectly. She says, I know what my husband goes through risking his life all the time. And when he comes home, I want to make sure that the stress that he's being impacted with out there, that is not what's found in his home. And so she recognized that the home needed to be a peaceful, calm place for her husband who was experiencing stress in other areas. Managing the home efficiently, and you'll notice that's coming from the Proverbs wife, which we'll talk about in a minute. Verbalizing appreciation for his providing. Proverbs 31.27, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. The oftentimes is find this in counseling. The husband may feel that he is doing all of the financial work and come home and the house is not clean or the uh, things are mis and disorganized or uh, finances are, are not uh, being taken care of. And this is where Proverbs talks about that the idleness is that he feels that she is what? Doing her part. The wife should work with her husband in developing mutual interests together. There are things that I do that my wife does not. There's things she does that I do not. There are things that we find mutually together. Learn to talk knowledgeably about her husband's occupation. I, I, I don't know if that's true about my wife and my occupation. Uh, she, that's one area that I have difficulty in is my wife really doesn't enjoy me talking about sex offenders uh, to her. Uh, so I've learned that, uh, that I have to... <laughs> Discuss that uh, uh, with other people, um, but we do talk theology. So we can. There's other areas that we can talk. We we do talk theology, um, but she does talk martial arts with me. She talks jujitsu. She helps out of the martial arts school. So there are other things that we do. And Scripture teaches the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two but one. So they share. there's a lot of sharing going on in that context. Anthony and I were just talking about this. This is one of the things that he said his wife has done to talk to other women. The wives should strive for an appropriate level of attractiveness, developing, notice first it says, inner beauty that earns respect. 
But there should be some outward attractiveness too, right? And displaying the inner strength regardless of outward circumstances, dressing appropriately in a feminine manner. The Again, the idea of what is your husband, what he finds attractive. You know, one of the things I point to and I counsel uh, Mr. Mullis, you know, these women, they dress. I said, look, she may dress a certain way, but it's not for you. It's probably for her husband. You know, that's the idea, is that there is this understanding that she is clothed with strength and dignity and she can laugh at the days to come. In other words, she is respectable and attractive to her husband and others see that in her love for her husband. She also strives toward the sexual fulfillment of her husband's needs by being a responsive wife Notices communicating her own sexual needs and giving assurance that her husband is sexually adequate. This tends to be um, a big counseling problem, and I'll just point this out, is that, and this is for men, porn has inundated marriages so much. And even, you know, the average age for young boys to look at porn now is 11 years old. So if you've got a son and he's 11, even even uh, daughters, um, their concept of what sex is by the time they marry your daughter, right, is very inundated by the porn community. And so, you know, when she wrote this in 2008, um, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure she had that in mind of what that may be. And so, husbands, if you are asking your wives to do things that are degrading, uh, you need to really rethink that. Um, Let's talk about communication. Good communication is foundational for a healthy, God-honoring marriage. Right and Roberts write, the communication, I love this quote, is to blood is to love what is blood is to life. Marriages break down for a lack of communication. I would say that's probably one of the number one reasons is a failure to communicate, right? Communication is sharing and understanding each other both verbally and non-verbally. Now, my wife says I have a look at my children that <laughs> they, they know what uh, I'm thinking. Yeah, and it's like, you better stop if you want to live. Um, but um, a lot of times, if you've been together, Rosal and I have been married over 20 years now, and she can look at me a certain way, and I go, well, I would need to back off or, you know, whatever. Communication is listening and responding respectfully. Communication involves a willingness to be honest and vulnerable. It's very easy a lot of times for the women to be vulnerable because it's within their nature, it's also within the way society kind of puts it. It's difficult for men to be vulnerable, for the most part, to share weaknesses, things that are hurting them. And so communication hopefully opens that as we go to Proverbs 15.4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Understand that your tongue, and James talks about it as well, is healing. 
or what disaster can come from the tongue. Each individual should be working towards communication of their emotions, attitudes, issues in both verbal and nonverbal manner. So, when there are hindrances to good communication between a couple, frustration and conflict will usually follow. And so we examine the scriptures to see where strengths and weaknesses are that we can pray through, discuss, and plan on how they can improve them. As you go through the process of learning more about communication skills, you should notice they will primarily communicate either on a more cognitive level or on a more emotional level. And that's one of the ways to think about it. Does your husband or your wife communicate more logically? They tend to be, look, let's think about this in a logical way. Or is it emotional? Remember, emotional is going to be here, logical is going to be down here. And you have to figure out what is the communication. Do they communicate verbally, you know, or they communicate non-verbally? So that you can both accept and understand what each one is sharing. Sexual intimacy. This is where we talked about earlier the idea of oneness. Sexual oneness allows the couple to experience a deeper, deep level of intimacy, pleasure, procreation, and belonging. Wayne Mack writes, Sex is one of the greatest gifts God has given to men and women within the confines of marriage relationship. It is intended to be a beautiful expression of unity and oneness. A couple should learn that they each should take seriously the other's sexual needs because why? They're the only two people whom God allows to have sexual expression toward. Is it? So you better like it. Is it? But there is a constant willing to discuss with one another what their feelings, thoughts, and expectations are toward sex. Brian Robertson, the plan of God's sex was intended to provide a means of totally revealing oneself to the beloved, of pouring one's energies and deep affections, hopes, and dreams into their loved ones. As we look at 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5, this is the important part, I believe, about this. The wife's body is no longer hers. The husband's body is no longer his. You're not to deprive one another sexually, except for the time of there and his mentions prayer. But notice what it says. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, you can't blame Satan if you lose self-control. <laughs> I want to make that clear. But you need to understand as a, as a spouse that it is your responsibility to fulfill your partner's sexual desire and you to fulfill theirs. Not your body, it's not your body any longer. See others. Finances. Man, don't you bring your own concept of money together? My wife's never knew what debt was. 
It's wonderful if you grow up with money. <laughs> you don't have to ever borrow any. <laughs> Unlike my family who came from lower middle class, who was always in debt to the bank. Both self-control and generosity need to be discussed as they are central to the biblical worldview of money. Your view of money is going to affect your marriage. It does. I cannot, again, emphasize how many marriages I've counseled with who have financial problems. If it takes good financial management software program, going to those classes, um, you know, Anthony will recommend somebody good for you for a financial advisor. Statistically, couples fight over money more than anything else. And it's never that they have too much. <laughs> what are we going to do with all this money we got in the bank? I don't know, maybe. I've never had a lot of money in the bank, so I wouldn't know. So maybe that's something they do fight over. It needs to start out early, managing money, your money early. There are times I, I said, Rosalind, I think we had more money when we were poor. Notice the last one. The goal is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Trying to figure out how to pay for four weddings and keep that possible, I don't know. I might pay them to, to elope, I don't know. Finances. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm not a financial manager, but there's multiple verses. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, the Bible speaks on money more than most other things. You know, a lot of people talk about 10%. I'm of the belief that God cares about the 100% and what you do with your money. All right. Marital conflict. Gary Collins says these are all the things that people fight over. You can go through and see what's your list of fights. Other undermining influences, busyness, role confusion. You know what we, Anthony talked about was role confusion. Happens a lot. It's easy. Inflexibility. Different religious views. I had a friend who was a pastor. He left being a Baptist, became a Presbyterian. Her parents convinced, the wife's parents convinced, convinced her that he had joined a cult and she divorced him. So you Presbyterians, see what you, I don't know, it's Baptist, I don't know. I just, I was dumbfounded. I was like, are you kidding? He says, no. Value differences, conflicting needs, personality differences, debt, money issues, boredom, weakening emotional bond. I will say that this is another thing that we don't tend to think about. We, we take those marital vows for richer, for poorer, and good times and bad times. This is the jolts to marriage. These are the bad times. <clears throat> Unexpected medical crises. 
sudden deaths, infidelity, natural disasters, deep disappointment, financial career collapse, or any other crisis throw a family into turmoil and severely shake the stability of even the best of marriages. Looking at my time here. Almost done. I was um, first pastorate. I don't know if I mentioned this past, but I'll bring it up again. There was this couple in my church. I had three sons. And I got a phone call on this particular day and found out the oldest and youngest son had drowned. And ended up preaching the funerals. Probably it was the first funeral I preached at the church and it was of these two boys that had died. And I told my wife, I said, I give them six months and they're divorced. It's three. They just collapsed. Each of them blamed the other for the death of their sons and they split apart and eventually were divorced. That's how quickly... You know, a shaky marriage. Conflict occurs in almost every area of marriage. It's inevitable if you're married long enough. You need to have a plan to deal with these issues. So one of the reasons communication is so important in marriages is that you talk about things before what? They happen. Kind of plan for you. You plan out your finances a lot of times. You know, you plan out you know things with your children. But there are certain areas that we just kind of leave blank. And I hope this outline kind of helps you do that in the development of that. According to Wayne Mack, one way to avoid conflict in the marital relationship is sorting out responsibilities. What are the responsibilities and roles of the husband? Maybe you've never discussed that. What are the roles and responsibilities of the wife? What are you going to do, you know, financially? What what is she going to do financially? You know, a lot of times is I'm going to make the money and I'm going to spend it, right? You know, is you know, are you expecting her to clean the house all by herself all the time? You know, you're the one dirty in the house and she's the one. Cl- I mean, all these things. There needs to be some sort of sitting down and going through this. A lot of times, again, it goes back. Conflict resolution has to do with the failure to communicate. There are three sets of scripture passages, uh, Matthew 7 and, and divided up, and then Ma- and James 4. And we don't think about these in the context of marriage a lot of times. But Matthew 7, 1 through 5, the judge not passage. Do we really think about these passages before we get into an argument with our wife? Or before you get in an argument with your husband? And you're, are you getting ready to jump on them about something that they have done and you don't even see what? Yeah. Your own what's going on. And what does it say? To pray that God shows you the log in your eye before you start pointing out their speck. This was a difficult one. Matthew 7, 7 through 9. I've never put this in, in a marital context. I thought this was kind of interesting. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and those one seeks finds. 
To the one who knocks, it will be open. Which one of you is his son asked for a bread will give him a stone? How is this in conflict resolution? What is the answer to what is going on here? How do we sort through? Ask God to give you wisdom in dealing with the previous verse. To deal with your own hypocrisy. To sort out what is wrong with us first before we start pointing out what's wrong with our spouse. God, what is the speck in my eye? (laughs) What is the log in my eye? What do I have in my heart that's not right in my marriage? And this is what's interesting is James 4 that talks about fights and quarrels. Notice what he brings up. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask because you do not receive. Spend it on your own passions. In other words, most quarrels and fights are about you, not about the other person. You ever thought about that? You're mad because your need's not being met. You're mad because they're not doing something for you versus what are you not doing for them? Andrew's point earlier. You're mad because you don't submit. Well, maybe it's because you're not loving them in the way that God commanded you to love them. And that's what God needs to tell you when you talk to him about that. As couples read through and process these passages, they should be able to gain a better understanding of why people, they themselves quarrel and fight, and the consequences of it, and what needs to be done to restrain and overcome strife. Six quick principles. Listening to your spouse, setting time to talk, defining the problems from both points of view, defining the areas of agreement and disagreement, Notice this one, identifying each person's contribution to the problem. Then stating positively what behaviors on each person's part would prove or probably help. One of the most important things that each person do is ask God to search to see if there's any sin that should be confessed before entering a discussion that may lead to conflict between the husband and the wife. I close with Matthew 19. It should have been a little further down. I realize I cut out some of it. Notice the context is the Pharisees challenging Jesus on divorce. And he quotes from Genesis, as Anthony would point out. It all goes back to Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife and his mother, hold fast to his wife. They are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. And then he goes to Moses' command, one to have a stiffy divorce and to send her away. He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed divorce. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Now, I'm a hardliner on this passage. I don't like this translation. In the Greek, 
I believe, rightly, that instead of accept, it should be even in the case. I don't believe Jesus gives an out. There were two main uh, Pharisees that argued different points, and that's what they were challenging on. One says you could divorce your wife for anything. The other one says you could only divorce them for sexual immorality. And I don't think Jesus was siding with the Pharisee. I think he was siding with what the Scripture standard is. There is no exception for divorce, except for what Paul gives, I believe, in the New Testament uh, writings where he talks about abandonment, which is my theory of why he talks about the spouse leaving, which is what me and Andrew were talking about yesterday. Now, I'm a hardliner on this. Um, you, know, you can tell you what I mean, but the follow-up passages, which I left off here, is the apostle saying, if this is true... It is better not to marry. In other words, if you can't get out of it, then you better not marry. I think that's the context. This is why you must deal with all of the things we talked about before because once you're married, you're married. I think that's the ultimate what Jesus is saying here. And so he's put you together. If he joins you together, no man can what? Separate it? Then how in the world can sexual immorality separate it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words through these various writers, through your scripture. Father, I ask that you will, will bless our time we've had together, bless our marriages and those who are planning to marry, those who are dealing with things within their marriage, May this uh, be beneficial to them. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Are you awake? This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.